This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Texas Schlock, a new book detailing the histories of bizarre science fiction and horror films produced in Texas. David Zulkin, author of Last House on the Left, The Making of a Cult Classic, writes, Texas Schlock is an essential guide to a fascinating, overlooked region of cult cinema. If you love B-movies, you need this book right now. Learn more over at texasschlock.com. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 490 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the 80s science fiction movies The Last Starfighter, Enemy Mine, Flight of the Navigator, Short Circuit, and Daryl. And this will involve spoilers for all of those movies, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests, who are all making their 21st appearance on the show. So first up, we've got Andrea Kale. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and her short fiction appears in the Writers of the Future anthology, Fantasy Magazine, and Lightspeed. She's been a television writer, producer, and script supervisor for shows such as Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Chew, and WWE's Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. And she's currently shopping her reality show, The Night. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. The next up, we've got Tom Gerentzer. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Galaxy's Edge and in books such as New Voices and Science Fiction. He's the author of the business book, Think Like Google. And his short story collection, Intergalactic Refrigerator Repairman, Seltum Carry Cash, is out now. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. And also joining us today is Matthew Kressel. He's the author of the novel King of Shards, and his short story Now We Paint Worlds was just published on Tor.com. His second novel, Queen of Static, is available now on his Patreon page over at patreon.com slash mattkressel. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. And today's show is brought to you by the new book Texas Schlock, written by self-described schlockmeister Brett McCormick, who wrote, produced, and directed 21 feature films between 1984 and 1996. During that time, he met many of the directors who paved the way for his own endeavors. People like Larry Buchanan, S.F. Brownrigg, Tom Moore, Glenn Coburn, Terry Lofton, and a host of others. Texas Schlock details the true stories behind such bizarre films as Bloodsuckers from Outer Space, Amazing Transparent Man, Biotech Warrior, Ozone, Attack of the Redneck Mutants, and Mars Needs Women. What caused these seemingly rational filmmakers to vent their unholy imaginings on an unsuspecting public? How is it that so many of these low-budget classics were produced in Texas? Get your copy of Texas Schlock over at texasschlock.com and find out the amazing truth behind some of the most bizarre motion pictures ever created. And if you want to get the word out about your own book, movie, event, or product on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, you can learn more about that over at geeksguideshow.com slash ads. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Okay, so let's start off with Andrea and have you tell us how much familiarity you had with these five movies going into this panel? Well, I knew uh, Enemy Mine and Last Starfighter pretty well. Um, at, well, actually, and also uh, Short Circuit. Um, Daryl and Flight of the Navigator I knew about, but I'd, I'd never seen before. So. so when you say pretty well for Last Starfighter and Enemy Mine and Short Circuit... I what watched them when about? I was a teenager and saw them, you know, whenever they were on cable, I would watch them. Um, but I but I hadn't seen any uh, any of them in, you know, any of those three that I know uh, in years, very long time. 
So since, the it, 80, since the eighties, since the eighties, basically, uh, probably the nineties, I would say. Okay, but um, it was it was a it was a voyage of discovery. Actually, I was, it was <laughs> rather surprised by how different my memory was from hmm. the from what the movies actually were. <laughs> I, I mean, these were all movies that I remembered being awesome. <laughs> I, I I didn't see I didn't see any of these since um, I saw them in theaters. You know, when they came yeah. out. Except maybe I, I think I had maybe seen, seen Short Circuit on VHS, but around the same time. But yeah, I hadn't seen any of these since yeah, like nineteen eighty seven or something. Um, so, um, but but you remembered Andrea? You remembered them being good or bad, or do you even I, remember? I remembered Enemy Mine being really good. I remembered enjoying Last Starfighter. I remember enjoying Short Circuit um, and the other two I just hadn't seen. I just knew what they were. But but I think those two are really more children's movies. So at that point, I was really a little too old to have watched mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. So, so how about Matt? What was your what's your history with these five movies? Uh, I had seen them all um, in the 80s and several of them uh, quite a bit. Uh, Short Circuit, uh, as I was watching it. All of a sudden, the dialogue started popping into my head and said, oh, my God, I must have seen this movie so many times as a kid. And I probably had not seen it since the 80s. But like the dialogue was just coming left and right. Um, The Last Starfighter, too. Like, I love that movie as a kid. I don't remember the last time that I saw it before now. Um, uh, I think Daryl... well, Flight of the Navigator, I think about maybe 10, 15 years ago, I watched it for a little nostalgia kick and then somehow completely forgot the entire plot. I think <laughs> on one of the last panels I was saying, Is, wasn't there a movie where some kid you know, <laughs> jumps through time for eight years? Like, I didn't remember any of it. Um, uh, but I think da- uh, Daryl and Enemy Mine were... Um, I might not have seen them since since the 80s. Uh, so that was, that was interesting to taking me back and, and seeing you know, how much matched up with my memories of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I definitely had seen them all. Uh-huh. Yeah, I feel like Short Circuit, I was thinking the reason I watched that multiple times, I'm pretty sure, because it was just one of those movies where, like, your parents would go out to the video store to get a movie and they would come <laughs> back and they'd be like, oh, I got this movie, Short Circuit. You're like, mom, we already saw that so many times, you know. <laughs> um, so that's why I, I'm sure I saw that, like, five or six times. And the other ones, yeah, I only saw once in the theater, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so how about Tom? What's your history with these movies? This is going to be like my childhood channel surfing panel because, uh, I, I hadn't seen any of these movies except like snippets of them over and over again, channel surfing. I would be like flipping around through the, through the dial and I would, uh, I would sort of settle on one of them and be like, Oh cool. Science fiction. And I would start watching it for a while and I'd be like, I want to see what else is on. And I'd go somewhere else and watch <laughs> something else. And, but I did that like multiple times with all these movies. So I've seen like certain parts of them over and over again and other parts of them I had never seen. I'd never seen any of them all the way through except maybe Enemy Mine. I think I might have actually hung in for that one at one point, but uh, hadn't hadn't seen the rest. So I was like, oh, Flight of the Navigator actually has a plot. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> really? notice that because I only watched like the part that didn't have a plot. But uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was a fun experience to watch all of these uh, for the first time in in their entirety. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I did not see Enemy Mine in the theater. I I definitely saw that on TV, and I'm almost certain I only caught the middle of it because the ending I'm sure I never saw before. 
but I had read the, it's based on a, mm-hmm. a novella Very by year. Barry Longyear. And yeah. I had read that before I saw it on TV. So I was like, oh, cool. I read this story and I recognize this. But um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had only seen the middle of it. A novella, that makes sense because I was watching that movie and I had seen at the beginning, it says based on a story by Barry Longyear. And I was like, man, that is a that short story must have just been chock full of stuff because <laughs> yeah. it's because it's like spans, you know, this this kid's whole life uh, and it's and it's and a whole bunch of time before it. So it makes sense that it was a novella. Yeah, well, let's get to Enemy Mine a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but first up, because I want to start off with The Last Starfighter. So this is kind of a funny story. And I, I this is the one definitely that I remembered the most. I, I felt going into this like I remember the plot pretty much entirely. And, you know, we did a previous panel um, back in episode, what was it, 163, where we talked about video games as a story element in fantasy and science fiction. And I had said on that panel, like, oh, I remember The Last Starfighter being one of the best movies of this type. And one of the other panelists said, oh, have you watched it lately? And I said, no. (laughs) And he said, oh, like, there's actually something I call The Last Starfighter Syndrome, which is where you go back and watch a movie that you remember (laughs) as a kid, and it's not good at all. (laughs) So he's like, don't go watch it. Don't just keep your memories, uh, you know, pristine. Don't spoil it. So so I went into this. I was expecting it to be, you know, just based on that, I was expecting it to be like, oh, this isn't as good as I remembered it. Um, But... uh, I still like it. I'm going to say I, I, <laughs> yeah. I still thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but so so the premise of this movie basically is that there's a, a, a teenager living in a trailer park and there's this arcade game there that he plays all the time, which is sort of an outer space. It's like a space invaders type game. And he gets the high score and this uh, sort of activates it to send out a signal into the universe and an alien comes down to recruit him into the like the Solar League or something Star uh, to League. fight actual Star League to fight actual aliens. Uh, so, um, so Matt, what do you think? Just overall impressions of Last Starfighter. So I watched this movie and I'm immediately a 12 year old boy. <laughs> um, so at the at the end of the movie, when um, when you know his ship is going up into space, and then you see his little brother go, "Wow, that's me!" <laughs> like I'm that kid, like that. This that movie, um, I just think it it has like the perfect pacing of a, of a, like mm-hmm. a, of an action like a uh, it's the hero's journey basically mm-hmm. and and yep. they, like they clearly uh, ripped off Ender's Game right um, it, but it it um, it's I just, don't think just I, I don't think they did because this was 1984 and what year was Ender's Game. I think 85 was the novel. Oh, so, I mean, oh, okay. Wow. Oh, oh, I always assumed it was the other way around. So, so Orson I mean, Scott Card ripped off this movie is what you're saying? Last well, <laughs> well, well, the thing is that the, you know, Ender's Game was expanded from a novella, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think was published a couple years earlier. But the novella is like not like, like the, it's not super similar to this. Like, it's just like the, it's the end of the battle. It's like the end of the battle school stuff. So mm. I suspect that they are probably just different people came up with it similar idea around the same yeah. time independently yeah. um but I'm, I'm not sure um, so i feel like if you tried to make this movie today people would say oh that's so derivative of course we've seen all these elements before but it, it, this was a, original for the first time you know uh, uh video games were getting really popular yeah um you know arcades and you know i so badly wanted to play the last starfighter game <laughs> it just like the graphics 
even in the video game that he's playing in the in the trailer park, it was just so much better than anything that was in the arcade at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, today you look at the the graphics, you're like, what is this junk? You know, <laughs> but but uh, at the time they were just so far advanced, and uh, even the the 3D computer graphics when they're actually in space were just mind blowing to to uh, my 12 year old self, and and even <laughs> like today by today's standards. Uh, if you think back to to how they were able to do this within like, um, you know, 1984, it's pretty amazing. Um, but I, I feel like this mo- the movie hits hits all the right beats. Um, it, you know, the, the the love story is cheesy, but <laughs> you know, Mags is like you know the devoted girlfriend. You know, I love you. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I, I love this movie so much. And then, so like for this panel, I was just Googling a little bit about it and I saw that they're talking about a sequel and I'm like, no, mm. please, please don't, you know, <laughs> you know, please don't. Um, it, it's just, it, it just, it's, it fits, it hits all those notes. And I feel like if they try to come back and revisit it and change stuff, they, they, they might break it. Although I did, I did hear that the original writer, is is writing the new script so maybe we'll see but uh i'm skeptical yeah well let's let's come back to that because there's going to be remakes for a couple of these Um, so i was going to hit that at the i was going to hit that at the end let me just say about the idea like i did read that the screenwriter how he came up with the idea is he said he went to an arcade and saw kids playing you know space invaders or whatever and he had just read um th white's the once and future king Mm. and just had this idea of like getting the high score in the game would be like pulling the sword out of the stone. <laughs> and that was kind of where it came from. Um, I mean, maybe he just made that up and he actually ripped it off from Ender's game. I don't know. But that's what <laughs> um, but so how about Tom last, what's your, what are your overall, what was it like going back and watching last Starfighter? Well, like I said, there wasn't really any going back because I hadn't seen it to begin with, except that. Wait, you never, wait, okay. Let me sit. I have to have that sink in. You never saw Last Starfighter before. Well, like I, like I said earlier, I, I'd seen like parts of it because I, I was kind of in when it came out on. I never went and saw it in the theater, and I never rented it. And when it came out on TV, you know, it was the era of lots and lots of commercials you couldn't do anything about. So I would kind of be flipping through channels and be like, "Cool science fiction." And I'd watch a little bit of it and be like. Then it would get to a commercial, and I'd be like, "Okay, I'm going to see what else is on." It serves somewhere else. Yeah. So okay. I, so you're so you're coming to this without a ton of nostalgia, then. So you have kind of a fresh perspective. Yeah, on. I, I had zero nostalgia because the little you know sections I had seen between the commercial breaks didn't give me any kind of love for the movie back then, um, and I'd never seen it start to finish. I kind of got the gist of what it was. I was like, "I get it. This kid, you know, is awesome at a video game, so he got chosen to be this." You know, I, I understood the plot, but um back then but i never built any kind of nostalgia for it and i liked it like i i really liked it up until um what was the kind of huckster character's name who who shows up there centauri yes centauri no wonder i forgot that um but uh yeah when centauri first showed up uh i was i liked his character i was like oh he's like a robert sheckley character like my you know, my favorite science fiction humorist. And um, I liked him at first. And then, but then it wasn't his fault that I started not liking the movie, but I felt like it started getting a little bit kind of too, I don't know what, it started out real serious and then it started getting a little too zany or or just kind of rushed or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought it was a really cool movie. I thought it had a lot of fun stuff in it. I, I don't want to 
say too much negative about it, but I did have that kind of dip after that Centauri character showed up where I was but like, he okay, shows things- up in like the first 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is I was like loving it in the first 20, I was like, this is awesome. I can't believe I never watched this. And then after, after he showed up and after things started changing, I was like, uh, it's still good. It's still fun, but I'm just not, you know, thrilled about it anymore. I mean, I really like the life uh, around the trailer park. Like, you, you get a sense yes, that there's, like, yeah. it's very lived in. Yeah. You know? That's why I loved it so much in the first 20 minutes, because I was like, this is like a lost Steven Spielberg movie, where it's like the, all yeah. these, like, quirky little characters that feel so real that are just punched into this science fiction movie. I, I was so on board with that. And then it's, you know, it's a it's a classic thing that happens to science fiction writers. Once you start writing about aliens, you... <laughs> you're not you're not quite as tied into to real life and it doesn't feel as genuine for some reason and tom is our resident trailer park correspondent here <laughs> now, i did live in a trailer park for a couple of years that's true so was it an authentic representation no i mean i didn't i didn't uh, let me let me walk that back i didn't live in a trailer park i lived in a trailer home so um but i, I have you know been in trailer parks I'm not a I'm not an actor, but I play one on TV. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I I, I, th- I I don't really know trailer parks that well. I just I just feel like those people just felt so real to me, and everything it, it felt seemed so pretty fun nice. And- like all the it's for like I always imagine trailer parks being more much more run down, and this seems like a really nice like it's up in the mountains and it's all clean and <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, it certainly wasn't like the trailer park and trailer park boys, which is across the main state border over in Moncton. Canada, which feels a lot more real to me. But um, but I think back then, you know, in the 80s, there were like I had a friend who lived in a trailer park and and he certainly was, you know, a, a really cool guy. His mom was awesome. It's just that they were on some financial hard times. And, you know, I, I really felt like that that trailer park. I don't know. And it wasn't just the trailer park itself. It was the shots they chose to show you these fun little things happening um i was I just the acting i mean even even though they were like had like two or three lines sometimes i, I just they just always hit it perfectly like yeah i, I don't remember the the character's name but they're like oh that's the, that's the control ship that's a control ship what's a control ship <laughs> you know like, yeah just little asides like that just really cued you in to who they are and then you know i, I love it when alex comes back after his big adventures he's like been to another planet mom <laughs> yeah yeah that was fantastic the, the only part that i didn't feel felt genuine about the trailer park was that like when he gets the high score in this video game like everybody in the trailer park is cheering for him like isn't this great but i i feel like it would have been more like yeah that kid's playing another video game he's all excited because he got some high score but well i, the, I took it the- a different way though i took it as if like there's not much going on in the trailer park and you know these people are kind of stuck there and then he got the high score and it's like the biggest news of, of the <laughs> of the month you know that he got the high score yeah yeah that makes sense I, I i just felt like it it did make sense to me in terms of this is the story of this kid so of course the biggest thing in his life is going to be the biggest thing in everybody's life around him but uh, but that makes sense too. Uh, that that it could be, it could be that way as well. Yeah. That oh. yeah. I want to get uh, Andrea back mm-hmm. in here. So Andrea, other thoughts on Last Starfighter? It pretty much stood up to my memory. Uh, it was enjoyable. Um, you know, uh, it, it was it was fun. It's just a a whole. It's an adventure fun. I think Matt, you said like the hero's journey. 
um, it, it is, it's, it's the hero's journey. And what I was thinking when I, when it first started was it's, he is very Luke Skywalker where mm-hmm. he's stuck on the, in the backwoods and he's, you know, being forced to help his, his mother and all the people in the, in the trailer park when he really, he wants to be out in the world and, and being an adventurer. And, you know, he has dreams of being a hero. Um, but he's, you know, held down to earth by his, yeah, you know, his, his family and his obligations. And then he gets the adventure of a lifetime and, and what they do really well, um, you know, as in a storytelling way is that he doesn't accept, you know, he doesn't accept the, uh, the challenge. He doesn't accept the adventure at first. He wants to go back and then he is forced to go back and to be a hero. Which Twice is, he's forced. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's 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 that's good storytelling right there. Instead of you know the kid, you know a kid just walking to oh it's the starship. Of course I'm going to be a hero. You know the, the, there's always got to be a struggle, the internal struggle, and and the character has an internal struggle. So it's um it's very real uh and and um it, like I said it felt like Star Wars like to me. So. So I actually I sort of disagree with that, and that sort of that was my main problem with this movie. Watching it now is that so in the Joseph Campbell monomyth, there's mm-hmm. always like one step in that formula is the refusal of the call, where the hero mm-hmm. says I don't I I don't accept this mission, and then changes their mind. But I mean, that I I since since it's you see it in so many stories, I'm I'm sort of at the point where I find that kind of tedious, and I'm like, could we just get on with it? <laughs> and this one, it wasn't just and and also like when the stakes are sufficiently high, you know, where it's like. We need you to save the universe. And the guy's like, I don't know if I want to. And it's like, come on. It's like the whole universe. Just do it. Um, and so I, I felt like in this one, I, I thought maybe they should have like, um, you know, finessed it somehow so that like he has like, there's like a, he has a rival uh, for that. You know, they have like a certain number of, uh, what are they called? Gun, gun stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the ships. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, they're, you know, and so he's, like, competing against some other candidate, and the other candidate is more, like, you know, I don't know, from, like, a more, like, he's, like, a prince or something, and, like, Alex is, like, I don't know if I'm good enough for this, like, and, and so it's it's not just, like, he's just, like, turning it down, and, like, who who are they going to have fly the ship instead, but there's, like, some, like, you know, he, when he sort of shirks that responsibility, he, he could rationalize it as, like, no, like, Someone better than me is getting this. Is going to do you, it instead. But then he wouldn't be the last starfighter, Dave. Well, no, but that, then that guy would die in the in the <laughs> attack that takes out then all twelve die, of their right. of their starfighters. I feel like if some movie company just movie production company just paid you like forty thousand dollars a year to be a script consultant, there would be a lot better, a, a, a lot more uh, excellent movies out there. I, I I totally agree. I would actually do it for much less. Actually, <laughs> no, maybe, I no. maybe I shouldn't say that. You need an agent, Dave. Don't ever yeah. say that. <laughs> but um, but I guess that was just. I'll, I'll go through my. I don't have many criticisms criticisms of this movie. I think it's a really good comedy. Like I was going to say, like Tom, that you know when I saw it as a kid, it seemed much more serious and dramatic to me. And watching it now, I'm like, okay, it's more like the tone is more like Galaxy Quest or something. It's it's really really yes, you know, yes. like silly, it's definitely camping, in a fun yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but sort of the problems I have were just like, yeah, like it's a, 
I, I think they say this is like a federation of 800 worlds or something, and they have like 12 fighter pilots. Yeah, to fight the, the, for there's them. a little, there's some logic problems going on there, but I. And, and, then, and then they have like this wall of satellites to defend them from the bad guys. And it's like, <laughs> no, dudes, we're in outer space. Like, you'd need a how lot many of, those of things, satellites. Yeah. I, I mean, presumably it would have to be like a sphere around all 800 worlds or something. It's like, how many of these things are we talking about? And why did they not? Maybe that's why they only have 12 fighter pilots, is because they spent all their money on this gigantic <laughs> yeah. wall. Um, but I yeah, so even as like, a kid, I, I, I remember thinking, like, how did they wrap that frontier around all of those planets? That must be huge. I think they saw, like, the Star Trek episode called The Thulian Web, where they build oh. that, that uh, the yeah, old the Star Thulian Trek original Web. series, mm-hmm. where they, they build that, like, bunch of ships that slowly go. But that just goes around in the Enterprise. But didn't right. they do that in... Um... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy yes. too, or, or yes. like a big because I looked at that grid and I'm like, wait, this looks familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's funny that it keeps popping up. Like yeah. people keep saying, you know what, we should use <laughs> a space grid. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that 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 um, it sort of makes it seem like it, there's only a 3D. You know, space is 3D. It's like that wouldn't do anything in space. Like the space is vast and one one plane of of a, a grid isn't going to stop anything. It's just like it makes just no sense. Just go around. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, yeah. It makes zero sense. But I don't so, give so, a damn. It's a fun movie. Who gives so, a so as yeah. So as so as science fiction, it's pretty dopey. Oh, um, But um, I mean, I think that if they were to like, if they were to redo it, I mean, they could like, you know, you, you could make it like smarter without sacrificing oh, the fun, you know. Um, but those were basically like my my things that, you know, other than that, I just think it's a great, a great time. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. it's a it's fun. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I don't you're mean 14 years old and, and put yeah. it on and get your popcorn and, you know, yeah. go with it. Exactly. And I, and I didn't mean my, you know, my initial criticism to say I, I don't think it's worth watching. I, I, I had a great time watching it and I would definitely not. uh not take that experience back for anything it's fun i guess the other thing and this is i think i just misremembered this but the, the way i remembered it in, in my head was that you know so like in space invaders there's all the rows of aliens and then mm-hmm. i guess there's like the the capital ship or whatever at the back and he's like i'm not going to fly through all those ships i'm going to wait till they all go by and i'm going to attack from the back and just go straight at the command ship and in my head, there was a line in my memory. There's a line where the alien says like, no, we can't do that. That's not the honorable thing to do. Like nobody, that's just not done. And I don't think that's actually in the movie. I think I just made that up. <laughs> I actually, I actually think that I actually really like that. I think that should be in there because, you know, that's the, you know, it's not just that all these aliens are stupid and they never thought of like attacking from the back, you know, it's that they have this whole culture of honor and, and everything. And, and he has this trailer park kid from earth. Who's not part of this federation, you know, is, one of his advantages in addition to just being a good pilot is that he is not um honorable yeah yeah yeah. well he's not invested in their you know their systems right he's like he's coming from outside he's like the revolutionary americans fighting against the uh the british when they would be like you have to stand in a line and, and shoot you can't hide behind trees that's dishonorable yeah yeah exactly so you know i think that's that's another change I would make, but um, forty thousand dollars, forty thousand a year. He's, <laughs> he's cheap. That is very cheap. A you year should... or per per edit. Yeah. <laughs> well, script script doctors make like a million, two million per like good yeah. script doctors. They, they make what? a lot of money. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're in the wrong line of work. No, script doctors <laughs> like you know, like Kara Fisher was one of the most famous script doctors. She was brought in to fix scripts. 
And she made a shit ton of money. All the people that, that do that make a shit ton of money. Man, we're in the wrong line of work. I'm, I'm like really good at fixing bad stuff. I can't write anything good from scratch. But... Yeah, we just do it for free, like every week on this podcast. <laughs> well, well, wait true. a minute, wait a minute. Well, here, Hollywood big shots, here's how you do it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure they're they're clamoring for our Oh, they're put. slavering right yeah. now. <laughs> um, all right, so we need to move on to other movies. Any final thoughts on The Last Starfighter? Yeah, I love the over-to-the-top villain, Zor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, his first-in-command... What do we do? We, we die. die. I love that. <laughs> that I, I remembered it was coming too. The minute I saw it, I'm like, oh, he's going to say that. And it was, and, it was, it, it delivered still. And the, and the hair loss of all the villains <laughs> was, or no, not the villains, all the aliens. Every they were day, all yeah. like, had like male pattern baldness, even the women. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, as a bald man, I appreciated that. <laughs> it's a whole society. Be- beautiful bald head. <laughs> Um, oh, I have to say that after Centauri uh, died, did he die? I can't remember. Did he actually die, or yeah. was he just? Well, he came back at the he end. Came back. He came he back at the end. Yeah. Well, a- after he died, it was a it was a lesser movie to me as well. Even though you know, I said once he showed up, it was it wasn't because of him. But then once he died, I was like, oh, he was fun. Where'd he go? So I missed him. Yeah, actually, I, I, I we haven't mentioned Greg, who's like the the co pilot, but he was really good too. And I, I like just wanted Greg. to mention, yeah. I wanted to mention this line. Uh, Alex says, there's no fleet, no starfighters, no plan. One ship, you, me, and that's it. And Griggs says, exactly. Zero thinks you're still on Earth. Classic military strategy. Surprise attack. And Alex says, it'll be a slaughter. And Griggs says, that's the spirit. He says, no, no, my slaughter. <laughs> I, I totally laughed out loud at that. Um, all right, cool. So let's move on to Enemy Mine. Uh, so as I said, this is yeah based on a, a really really good novella by Barry Longyear, where there's um, a human fighter pilot and an alien fighter pilot who are shooting at each other, and they end up crashed on this desolate planet, and end up having to befriend each other to survive. And then it turns out that the alien is a hermaphrodite and gives birth to like basically a younger version of himself and dies in childbirth and the human pilot who has you know really become attached to the alien by this point has to care for his offspring um and it's in the, the the story is really really beautiful and touching and it has to do with you know understanding other cultures and everything it's really really good um and so uh andrea what did you think of this i filmic remember adaptation? i remember really liking this movie when i saw it however many years ago it did not stand up to my memory it was the premise is great and I love it. And it des- I really, now I want to read the novella because mm-hmm. uh, I'd actually forgotten that it was based on Barry Longyear's story. And I've since met Barry Longyear when I was at Odyssey and, um, and I've read his stuff and he's fantastic. Um, so, but the movie, it was shot and played like a, like a sci-fi, a B, you know, B movie, a sci-fi B movie. It was, you know, Dennis Quaid is over the top. The the music is overwrought. Um, it, I, I just found it so much less enjoyable than it should have been. Um, except for the ending, which made me tear up. But that's mm. thanks the, the to very ending. The very ending, but that was the, the, thanks like, the epilogue. Basically. Exactly. That was yeah. That was because of Barry Longyear's beautiful writing. It's not you know in the voiceover they, they use his actual words I, I i imagine um yeah but yeah i i was so disappointed 
I was. Did you not think that Lou Gossett Jr.'s performance? He was, was great. No, fantastic. sorry, I should say that. Yes, he is fantastic. It was it was Dennis Quaid who was just like, why are you? What what is going on? Mm. <laughs> I was very very disappointed in it. I like um, Dennis Quaid in it. Oh, all right. We're we're gonna have to <laughs> di- di- agree to disagree on this one. Okay, that's fine. I mean, Tom, what else? Do you have any other other thoughts on the movie? Um, no, I, I had, this is the one I had seen the most of, um, channel surfing. Uh, it's the one that I kind of hung on to and kept watching it. Cause I kept thinking, this is, this is really interesting. And I like that it kind of, um, you know, it goes through lots of different things. It starts out with this, with the space battle, which is fun. And then the crash, it reminded me a lot of a, uh, Battlestar Galactica episode that mm. came well before it. Do you know the one I mean, Andrea? The one where they where Starbuck lands on the planet and they find the the alien god child that one. I don't know. I don't know if it was Which that one. one. It, it's one where Starbuck shoots down a Cylon Raider and yeah. he crashes at this again. At the, oh, that's the one you're talking. That's about? That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. It's it's a very similar plot. Like yeah. the, he shoot, shoots down a Cylon Raider who's flying a spaceship and then he crashes as well. Yeah. And then he is stuck on this planet with the Cylon Raider and they kind of become friends. He has to like figure out a way he put basically puts a remote control on the Cylon Raider where he can turn it off anytime he wants to. Cause they're like, they can just kill humans almost instantly. So he, he'll like the minute it starts to tr- act aggressive, he just turns it off and he kind of trains it to stop being so aggressive and they become friends. And that really reminded me of this only kind of in, in a fun reverse way where the aggressive, like scary being is the human. And, uh, and the alien is actually, the, you know, the, the enlightened kind of reasoning, more peaceful creature. Um, it was a, it was a fun turnaround on that, which I kind of wonder if either Barry Longyear or the creators of this movie had seen that earlier episode and were like, we can do that a little differently. We can put a twist on that. But either way, I, I thought, I thought it was fun. I, I, I don't remember what year the novella was, but I suspect it was probably before that Battlestar Galactica yeah. episode. Okay, that makes um, sense. The Battlestar Galactica episode was like the night was that the nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies. No, 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 nineteen like seventy eight or seventy nine. I would say. Okay, okay. Um, but um, the thing I, that really st- sticks out from the story for me, or one thing that really sticks out, is that it, it's very much like an anti-war, like post-Vietnam mm-hmm. kind of you know story. And so there's this um like briefing near the beginning where there are all the earth recruits are being um, sort of like worked up into a bloodlust to go kill aliens. And the, the drill sergeant type character is saying like, and they're hermaphrodites. So don't tell them to go fuck themselves because they will. <laughs> and uh, is this in the story? In the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. That's I was awesome. like, did yeah, I miss I'm like, this? I, I'm like, I don't remember that line. <laughs> um, but, but to, just to Tom's point that it's definitely, the idea that the earth, that the humans are the like more yeah. aggressive, like out of control, violent ones is is that's explicit in the in the text. It's similar um, to um, it's similar to a, a couple of other uh, a couple of other movies that have come out over the years. The uh, um, blanket on the name, well, Avatar for one, in that regard. And uh, what's the other one? Oh, what was the one that was really campy, over the top in the nineties? about the aliens where the humans are like fighting the bugs and oh god uh, starship starship, starship troopers. troopers yeah it's I do to- I do adore that movie though it, oh, you know me too. ironically because it's just oh I love that movie I love me watching too. that movie yeah well we'll get to that in a future episode yes, uh, but so so Matt enemy mine thought overall thoughts um so 
some of this is colored by nostalgia. So I very have very vivid memory of seeing this with my father in Florida. Um, we were visiting my grandfather. It was a rainy day. Couldn't go to the pool. So we went. Uh, he took me to the movies. I had, I had no idea what Enemy Mine was. I, I actually wasn't even sure if I was going to like it, uh, even though I like I hadn't I had I went in blind and uh, ended up really enjoying it. And so going back and watching it now, definitely parts of it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, it, it, um, like Dennis Quaid irritated me at first. And I did not like his character. The uh, when he his uh, his co pilot was like, you know, he was like, yeah, we call. Uh, oh yeah, the, what, the what woman. Did, what, what did they call her? White like balloon the, or something. The white balloon. They yeah. were making fun of her her weight, and I was like, oh, Dennis Quaid's like a real bastard. And then I was like, I really don't like him. But then I realized as you're watching that you're supposed to exactly think he's like a him, bastard. Yeah. And That's... you, you re- like like as as we said, like it's about. Um, showing that humanity is really the, the yeah. evil, evil force here. And uh, so I, I thought that it was a, uh, at least the message of the film was, was really powerful about like dehumanizing the other. I mean, this is like a common thing throughout human history is that whenever we go into battle against, you know, whenever we fight another group, we, we dehumanize them in, in order yep. to uh, kill, uh, you know, be able to kill them. We, we, Oh, they're inhuman monsters, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, uh, when you see them as another person, and in this case it's an alien, but when you see the soul of them face to face and that they're just like you and in some ways better than you, um, I, I think that that was a powerful message. And, uh, you know, so so when, um, you know, when uh, Luke Gossett Jr. character dies, um, you know, it it really hit me hard. It, like it hit me in the feels. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't really expecting that. Like, um, and l- yeah, like, like Drac as a character, you know, he's like, we were here a thousand years before you and, and you came and, and, you know, uh, clearly it's like, it's one of those things where both sides thinks, thinks they're right, but they're, they're both essentially want the same things. And so uh, when, when we get to the end where, uh, Davidge is is reciting the ancient lineage on on the Drac homeworld. Um, I found that unexpectedly moving. Yeah, and and um, and I know Andrea, you said you you, you thought the the music was over the top. Like yeah. this is this is definitely shot like a B movie. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Um, like the special effects, uh, they're almost it almost feels retro. Like even yes. for the eighties, it feels as if like this is nineteen fifty. Yes. It's like it's um, like a Star Trek original series yes. episode or or like yeah, like Forbidden Planet. Or like Planet. Forbidden Planet. That yes. was exactly what I Well, was it was it was also the props, like the the spacesuits they're wearing. They're actually using guns, like guns with bullets. Like if yeah. we yeah. if we've d- developed into, you know, actual interstellar star flight, we can't nobody's, you know, gotten more sophisticated weapons. Like that's that was really strange to me. But but as the as it progressed it like it it actually became more and more epic for me like like where he you know he wants to go home so badly and then he finally finds a ship and then he realizes oh it's slavers and then yeah. when yeah. when the, when the kid says did you see anything out there or or even when he says to Drac like what's out there he says nothing 
Yeah. So yeah. he's willing to stay with his friend yeah. and not go home. And like, so I, I think though, yes, the movie has parts of it that are really cheesy. Um, definitely has cool, cool alien creatures and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but like there are parts of it that I think affected, affected me in ways that, uh, I didn't expect. And, and I, I think like if, you know, we're talking about remakes, I know you want to wait to the end, Dave, but, uh, I think this, this movie could be remade. Absolutely. And, and, and I oh, think if sure. they did it with modern special effects and, and, uh, you know, and better kept, acting on, <laughs> not Dennis Quaid. On maybe a Dennis Quaid's <laughs> point, you know, and, and just like the, the message of, of just, you know, I think it's a timeless message that, you know, we shouldn't dehumanize yeah, somebody absolutely. just because, just because they're unfamiliar with us. And, and, you know, I just thought it interesting that the, uh, the little prayer book he had was called the Talma. And I kept thinking like, cool. oh, yeah. the Talmud, yeah. you know, yeah, that was really but, cool. Uh, okay. So, okay. So let me just explain though about like, so I did not know this. I, I mean, I think that this is a, like, it's a great idea and I think it's worth watching for Lou Gossett's performance alone. Um, but they totally kind of like, blew it when it comes to the ending and i did not real i don't know if everyone looked this up but so the reason that and the ending is not the ending um the climax where he rescues the kid from mm -hmm. the slavers that's not from the story at all i don't think and so uh apparently the studio and the and the, the okay. slavers are like using slaves to do mining yeah and you're like okay that's kind of weird and random and so apparently um the hollywood executives were like okay wait but this movie is called enemy mine Where's the mine? And, <laughs> oh no. my god! And, and Barry no. Longyear's and Barry Longyear's like, well, no, but it's like my enemy, like my enemy mine. And the executives are like, I just feel like if it's called enemy mine, audience is going to ex expect there to be a mine. Oh. And so they made them put oh. a mine into the movie. That is absolutely wow. ridiculous. Never, oh never mind. God. Don't be a script doctor because you'll have to try to convince people like that, <laughs> and that's just never going to happen. Oh. My God. But yes, so the whole thing where he like, yeah, where where he like leaves and comes back and like rescues the, like all that stuff you could just get rid of. It like doesn't do anything for the story at all. Right. Um, and um, and so, yeah, I think you sh they should totally remake this. Yeah. With like better special effects and just stick, stick to the story. I mean, I guess um, apparently um, Barry Longyear and David Gerald did a novelization. It was kind of like after the movie came out, that's kind of based on the movie so they had to use the stuff that was the mine <laughs> i haven't read it so i don't know but there might be some good ideas in there um but but just the original novella i just remember it being so great so i mean just i like need a, to read it i've never read it yeah i gotta read it i totally want to read it just a faithful adaptation of that would just be great it seems to me Is it, are, there, are there slavers in it i don't think so i don't remember any okay. i mean it's, i haven't read it since i was like 12 or something but i i don't think so it's it's like the story of like this guy learning to understand another culture and then passing it on to the child, you know. Yeah. I mean that's what it's about. It's beautiful. No, it's I mean, absolutely I, beautiful. I mean, I kind of like the idea like like Matt was pointing out. It's really cool. It's cool how it starts out with the space battle and then you're like, "Oh, now he's stuck on the world with this guy with this alien uh, enemy." And then it's cool how it's like, you know, the the child shows up and and then he's raising the child, he, he grows to love the child and then the slavers show up. I think that's really a powerful part of the movie. I like, I, you know, it doesn't have to be a mine, but I like that they show up and then he gets to see them through new eyes, yes. see, see his own race through new eyes. And I like that part. And the whole, yeah, the whole part where he's like 
killing everyone. I'm like, what's the point here? Like now he's learned to be peaceful and he's just killing all these people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. And I love the ending of it too. It's, it's very cool. Well, he's, he's not only killing people, he's killing his own people. Uh, right. You know, or, well, humans anyway. Yeah. Right. But it, but it's like it's the universal. I would do anything, kill anyone to protect my child. You know. Yeah. True. I also found it interesting that like the first sign of humanity that he sees is garbage. Is human? Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, sees a, he sees a crushed Pepsi can and he's like, "Oh, humans! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> garbage! <laughs> That's my own kind." That's funny. All right, cool. So we got three more movies to get through. So we're gonna have to pick up the pace a little bit here. Um, but so, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, this is orig- it was actually originally apparently not a Disney movie, but it was sort of got picked up and distributed by Disney. But it's uh, there's this kid and he goes into the woods and falls into a ravine and knocks and gets knocked out. And then when he wakes up and comes home, he finds that eight years have passed and his parents have moved to a different house and they long since assumed that he was dead. And then he attracts when he's found it attracts the um, and he hasn't aged at all. He's still the exact same age. And um, and this attracts the interest of NASA. And it turns out that all sorts of like star charts have somehow been like uploaded into his mind. And then the story kind of goes from there. Uh, but so uh, so Andrea, overall thoughts on Flight of the Navigator? Well, I had never seen it and I didn't really know what it was other than there was a kid in a spaceship. Um. It's Interestingly, I had seen it, and that's all that I knew. <laughs> well, let me address. I that. literally, literally, all I remembered was that there's a UFO and a kid flies around in it, and he talks to this like orb on a like stock yeah. thing. And so that's all I remember. Let me tell you why that's all you remember, because the premise is fantastic. Like when it first started out, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. That that um, you know, this kid has to deal with the fact that his family has aged, and he's still the same. But then after that, and after he gets into the spaceship, like nothing fucking happens. Nothing happens. Nothing yeah, happens. Agree. There's no story. That's why you don't remember it because there's nothing to remember other than a kid in a spaceship talking to a wacky orb thing. Um, you know, I think if you're making a goofy kids movie, which is what this ended up being, like it started out as like a really interesting story and then it ended up being just this kid talking to Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. I was, yeah. I was little. I was just getting so angry at it because nothing was happening. And that's like, you just break in the basic law of storytelling, which is not actually telling a story, you know? So that's yeah. really all I have to say about this. I, I just, there was nothing to say because there's nothing to comment on because nothing happened. There well, you go. <laughs> it, it has like the worst opening of a film ever. Like like dogs playing frisbee, and that that would be fine if it was a movie about dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I it, think it I actually said like, what does the dogs like, have to do with this? Like, and then and then they, they cut to like a silver frisbee, and you're like, okay, here's the UFO. No, it's just another frisbee. Um, like, well, no, it started on the silver frisbee. Yeah, it starts uh, you, on the frisbee. Oh, it starts. It starts out frisbee. thinking, oh, look, a UFO, yeah. and then yeah. it comes down. Oh, and oh right, right, right. They they, they, they they tease a couple of times with like, oh, yeah. is that a nice? No, it's a blimp. It, no, it's yeah. a, it's a frisbee. Damn it. Um, <laughs> these are the these are like the worst parents ever, and or and or like typical Gen X parents, right? So, um, can I play at Billy's? Yeah, I guess so. Just look out for the fireworks. <gasps> yeah, th- um, that's what I was like. Why are they I mean, letting my, their children walk into this scary forest alone? Yeah, like, go pick up your brother. Go 
across the, the train track. That was just how you raised kids back it's, then. It's true. Like it's I had, true. A, I had a box of shotgun shells on my shelf, and my mother's like, "Why do you have those?" Oh, I, I'm making my own fireworks. Okay, like I'm not even kidding. Like it was just like kind of like that. So I could kind of understand it, but it, like watching it now, we're like, man. The 80s were really messed up. Yeah. Um, I, I was, it's a wonder all of us survived or as many well, of us no, survived as possible. That, that's, such a mis, that's such a misunderstanding or a, it's, it's such a common misunderstanding because everybody who's saying that is alive, but that doesn't mean there's probably like that's you know, what half, half, half of us alive, so we're not saying that. a lot of dead kids. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. so many dead kids Sampling out there who are like, well, selection can I talk by, on yeah. the podcast? Because I got you know killed walking through a forest like that. Yeah, we should interview some ghosts. <laughs> um, well it is halloween yeah like i i think like as a, i saw this as a kid and i i was like oh my god a a spaceship that that could, i could tell it where to go and it could go anywhere i thought that was the coolest thing and like watching it as an adult i'm like oh my god this is the this is horrible i don't want to be in this spaceship first of all it's super creepy but not only that like Wee herman is in control <laughs> yeah it's like and, get in the van he, kid <laughs> yeah, and he's just got this awful laughter, and like, um, once it sort of drops that creepy voice, and Pee Wee Herman's like, yeah. and I was like, oh god, yeah, exactly. When is this movie over? Yep, exactly the same reaction. I'm like, oh All my right. god, how much, how much longer is this going to go on? Yeah. All right, let me just tell you what's wrong with this from a plot standpoint, right? <laughs> so right. the forty thousand dollars here we go. The case. Yeah. So, so, so at the climax, the the protagonist has to make a decision. Does he want to travel back in time to reunite with his parents? Uh, does he basically want to risk his life to travel back to the start of the story? And um, and that would be an okay choice for the protagonist to make at the climax of the story if anything leading up to it had given that any emotional resonance yeah. or, or point or been involved in his character or, or anything. But none of it is. He's just a normal kid. And so it's like, yeah, I want to go home. It's like, okay, fine. Like, yeah, so, kids want to go home. So if whatever. he was afraid of, uh, if he was really afraid of, of death or something like that, and he and he explained that there was like a scene where he something like that, or or maybe yeah, or, if he or, connected or, with somebody in this time, which I think he did. I think yeah. he connected with his brother, but it it wasn't. Uh, well, I mean, the, the uh, this is not that imaginative, but the sort of the you know orthodox thing would just be he's alienated from his family at the beginning mm. and then by the end he's gone on this journey where he realizes how much he loves them and misses them and he's even willing to risk his life to get back to them there you when go. at the beginning he didn't appreciate them at all it's right? a wonderful space flight <laughs> yes. yeah yeah so i mean it could it, it, but it would need to be something like that because it just it just feels so random and like who cares um because it's not um it doesn't intersect with this character in any way mm. um so yeah, so I totally agree with with Andrea that yeah, I, and I was really into this like the whole thing, and I thought it was really well done. Where like he's found and his parents yeah are have aged and they they've missed him this whole time. They can't believe he's alive, but how can he still be a little kid? Like I was like yeah. really choked up at all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and that then yes, yeah. As soon as he steps into the UFO, yep. it's just like pfft, nothing down the to- yeah. the whole movie down the toilet. Was there yeah. ever any explanation for why the star charts were downloaded into his brain? Like any yeah, because he yeah because he ran the spaceship ran into a power lines and and it had it had uploaded it so, for some reason no it had uploaded it no. first for some reason 
Um, right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the it's reason. It's way, and then they were the only, yeah, sorry. It's way overcomplicated and convoluted, especially for a kid's movie, because there's all these things. But it's like, yeah, so we, we got the human and we decided, we saw, oh, you only use 10% of your brain. So let's fill up the other 90% with some random stuff. That see what happens. Useful. And see what <laughs> happens. And, oh, did you go crazy? And then it's like, oh, but then we also realized humans can't travel back in time without dying. So that fucked everything up. And then also I happened to run into some power lines and that erased <laughs> my memory. And it's like, yeah, that, that was totally, that totally needed to be rewritten. <laughs> And also, I kidnapped like 13 sentient beings. (laughs) Yeah. I I have to say, I had a completely different experience from all of you watching this movie. (laughs) And and the reason was it was it's kind of like, you know, uh, it feels really good when you stop hitting yourself in the face with a two by four. Um, I, I had seen only the parts of this movie that were the space flight when I was a kid. And I or not not even when I was a kid. I think I was in college when I saw it on TV and then cut away from it and was like, whatever, it's weird. Um, but, but I was blown away back then and still today by the, gra- by the, the special effects in it were amazing, yeah. were absolutely yeah. astounding, which apparently they had to do frame by frame that they, they made this silver walnut spaceship and then they frame by frame had to map the ocean reflection yeah. onto it. And oh, you saw to, like, that, that YouTube video where they go through it. It's really great. Uh, where they describe how they did the special effects. I, I don't remember the title of it, but, uh, I, I that, did, was, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. So that was a triumph, but. I had only ever seen the part when he's flying around in the spaceship with Pee Wee Herman talking to him. So I was like, that movie's absolutely stupid. And then when I had to go back, you know, last week and watch this movie from start to finish, I was like, holy crap, that's so cool that like he he shows up and is and he's hasn't aged, but it's eight years later and his parents are all like bereaved. But now they're you know, I was like, wow, I had no idea this movie had something cool about it. So I really enjoyed that. And then I, by virtue of that, I enjoyed watching the rest of the movie too, because I was like, oh, now there's context and I understand what's going on. So I, I really enjoyed this movie, but, but mostly because I had only ever seen the part with no plot in it and been like, all this movie is, is like just an excuse to show off these cool special effects and it's annoying. And then when I went back and saw the story part of it, I was like, oh, that's way cooler than I thought. Mm. Yeah, and I'm pretty. I think this movie might have been my introduction to the idea that if you were to go off, you know, it's at near light speeds, or that that time would pass much faster. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I can remember being really confused uh, watching this as a kid by the time travel stuff. And do they I even that was like, do they mention uh, um, Einstein? They, they they don't call it relativity. They, what do they call it? Light speed theory. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was like, saying. I was like, oh, yeah. if they said relativity, they'd scare off people. Well, if they <laughs> called it relativity, they'd have to have some relatives in the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I was introduced to that concept, Dave, by Carl Sagan. Uh, uh, Cosmos, the show Cosmos. Mm-hmm. But no, I because oh, I, I saw this, but I saw this when I was like eight years old or something. I mean, I really I also I knew it. relativity from uh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters, yeah. like they haven't aged. Einstein yeah. was right. Einstein was, was one of them. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. Let's get into our last two movies, which we I feel like we can c- kind of talk about together because they're pretty similar. Uh, Short Circuit and Daryl, and so so both of these basically uh, a robot gets away from its creators mm-hmm. and like meets up with like a family or like some person who takes care of it. And then the, the, the government or corporation or whatever tries to get it back. And in Daryl, it, it, uh, the robot looks like a, it's actually sort of like a cybernetic organism yeah. kind of thing where it has a biological body and a 
computer brain and looks like a little kid uh, who just happens to be like super smart and super coordinated and stuff like that. And then in short, in short circuit, it's like a, a, a military robot basically that gets struck by lightning and kind of um, becomes sentient and, and, and goes on an adventure. And uh, all I really remembered about Daryl was I remember that he was really good at baseball and I remembered the part where they go in and he's like all hooked up to computers and stuff. And you realize or the family realizes that he's a, a robot. And then, I mean, I loved Short Circuit, man. I loved Short Circuit as a kid. And I don't know why, because now I can't mm. stand it. Yep. But, um, uh, but I don't know, Matt. Thoughts on Daryl and Short Circuit? Uh, my thoughts are very different. Uh, for each. So, so short circuit was, uh, as I said at the beginning, a film that I must have seen dozens of times because suddenly all the dialogue was just popping back into my head. I'm like, how do I know this? Why, why is this happening? Um, I used to love this movie. If it was on, I would watch it start to finish. And now I, I found it really kind of horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are parts of it that I think, you know, if you've never seen it, you should watch it. Like, I think Ali Sheedy's performance is great. I, I think that like, she almost saves the movie just by herself. Like when she first sees uh, number five in, in her, uh, in her truck. And she's like, I do. She's like, Oh, an alien. I knew they'd pick me. And it was just like something endearing about her that I, that I really liked. And I think, you know, some of number five's jokes, um, we're okay. Like it, it, it got over the top after a while, like the, the silliness of number five, but like sometimes it, I, I smiled. I was, uh, I mean, maybe that was just, you know, muscle memory or something, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but Steve Gutenberg, I found incredibly annoying. I don't know how I ever thought he, I used to like him. I don't know how I ever thought that he was endearing. And, and the other thing that I think we should mention is like Fisher Stevens plays a, an Indian man, a South Asian man. He's not Indian. And, and he plays it in such a, a, a racist, uh, stereotypical way uh, where he's like misquoting all these idioms. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he's just, mortified by that now, by the way. No, I, I know. Like I've, I've uh, heard about that. Um, but I think it was just um, I think it, it definitely created uh probably inadvertently like a generation of people who completely you know of, of americans who completely misunderstood you know indians yeah um and and um so that's regrettable um so yeah i mean um i there were parts of this that i thought was funny like you know when when the press comes to uh, ali sheedy's house uh, stephanie's house and they're like did he try to molest you in any way and she goes no, he's not that kind of robot. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I just had, like I said, the dialogue in my head, a can of soup is a meal in itself. Like I, I, I was like, man, I used to say that all the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you've never seen it, you know, it's, it's one of those movies that was a classic, but I don't, I wouldn't call it a classic now, but I feel like it was definitely extremely popular mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. Daryl, um, and uh, Andrea and I were talking about this yesterday, so we were trying not to talk too much, so <laughs> so we would save it for this panel. But uh, unexpectedly, uh, Daryl, I'm talking about, unexpectedly hit me in the feels. Um, I really co uh, connected with uh, Daryl, and especially when he had to be taken away from his family. I thought that, for the most part, the the emotional notes 
we're all real. Mm-hmm. Um, that the like how he slowly like they were they didn't know what to make of this child. He was you know kind of gifted and strange, um, and they didn't know how to approach him. And then they slowly uh, warmed up to each other and then established this bond, which I thought was very natural. The pacing of it, and then he has to leave, and like really really broke me and i think as as a kid i was like heartbroken by that and when they when they go to the the lab and they see that he's just a computer and like his friend turtle is talking to the you know the the um the central processor that that says hello turtle and and uh i still don't know what a whore is or something like that (laughs) Um, and and, (laughs) yeah i still don't know what a hooker is and uh and and so it, it, it was um it was pretty much i think the movie pretty much works except where there were two things that i thought were kind of unbelievable i didn't think that you know the uh the doctor who created daryl he was like oh i'll invite the family and i don't see if they yeah. have a problem problem with that it's like well you you just got the order from the government to kill this kid i think they would have a problem if you invited <laughs> the family back um, that was the one thing. And the other thing was like, he's, you know, he steals the SR 71 Blackbird at the end, Daryl and flying away. And I'm like, okay, yeah, they're going to shoot him down. They're going to blow him up. And then he ejects and they're like, wait, couldn't he have ejected? They're like, no, we would be able to track it. And all he, all he did was flip a switch and turn off the tracker. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he's hacked every yeah, other. We're, we're sure the super intelligent AI just <laughs> meant to fly up on a plane and Blow himself up, you know. And, like, and wouldn't it be the first place that they would look for him is with the family that he? Yeah. Does? Yeah. So, right, so in, right. like that part of it didn't work for me, but overall, I think like the emotional arc of Daryl was really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really good. I mean, I, I don't think it's an amazing, but I think it's like it's competent and enjoyable. And yeah, like the the part where um, so, so there's this um childless couple who are sort of fostering Daryl because he's um. And nobody knows who he is. And uh, and there's a part where his, like, quote, real parents come to to retrieve him. And that I thought, yeah, I thought was really good. And also, like, just the sort of, like, feeling of, like, wait, this these people are kind of, like, there's something off about these people. But it's, like, what are you going to do? Tell them they can't have their kid back? You know, like, that whole thing was really, really well done, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree that, like, toward the end, it gets, like, once 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 Daryl goes AWOL, like, or, you know, once he escapes from the lab, I thought I got kind of pretty stupid after that. But there's 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 definitely a lot of stuff that the movie does does really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrea, other thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Matt. It was um, I knew nothing about the movie other than it's about a robot boy opening um, going into it. And I, just from a filmmaking point of view, the opening is fantastic. It is tell. It's exactly what a film should be. It tells a story without barely any dialogue. Yeah. You know, with, it, with the helicopter chase, the helicopter the chase, the kid running out. Um, you know the the old men. You know, you get a couple of lines of dialogue with the old people, and then um, you know, you you see him, the kid. Uh, you see Daryl approach the kids playing basketball, and he doesn't know what you know what a foul is, and. Then the old man saying goodbye to him, he just puts it, you know, and you can, it's, you know exactly what's going on, or at least it puts the right questions in your mind. You know, something's off, but what is it? You don't know. And it's just, I thought it was really well done piece of filmmaking. Um, And, and yeah, it was, I, it, it was emotional for me. Um, 
you know, everybody understands that that outsider kid trying to fit in, but this is an outsider robot. And um, I, I just, it was really well done. And I agree. I, de- I definitely identified with the the kid who's just a million times smarter than everybody else. And just better <laughs> like, it just really took me back to my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it did. Um, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it starts to go off the rails logically. Um, obviously, I, my big thought when I was watching it was like. You are, you guys are terrible at escaping. Like if the mm. guy gets through the checkpoint in the, in the truck, why didn't you just wait till you were around the corner for the kid? You know, like why do it right <laughs> in front of them? It was just ridiculous. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, they were really, really bad at escaping. Um, I was, but, um, and, and yeah, the first place anybody would go is go to that parents. But I, you know, at that point, I didn't care. I just, I was invested, you know, I was invested in this kid. And I was invested in the story and I was invested in the parents, um, you know. Yeah. Uh, Tom, thoughts on Short Circuit and Daryl? Yeah. Any any movie that starts out with tires screeching on dirt has me at hello, basically, because I'm like, oh, this is my kind of movie. This is from from my era. Um, and then, yeah, but I, but I, I agree with Andrea. It, it, it's really cool. That's a good way of putting it, that it puts the right questions in your mind, like what's going on here? Um, why does this kid not understand basketball foul? Which, by the way, Dave, I identified with that part of it. Like some kid is completely <laughs> inept at sports. That you know, that's exactly what I would have answered. Dave, was that a foul or not? I yeah, I I have no idea. <laughs> Just run away. <laughs> yeah, that's that was me basically when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I, I thought the movie was it was really. I agree with everything everybody else said about how it was it was really cool um, setup and really cool concept and story, and it had some things wrong with it, but I didn't care too much. Um, I didn't, I think the reason I didn't really stick with this in my channel surfing days was because I think this was more a movie now as a, as a parent, it's more of like a parent fantasy and admonition Mm, as well than it is a kid, a movie for kids. It's got a kid in it, but it's like, look how, look, you could have this perfect child, but do you really want a perfect child? Because he might be a robot. (laughs) Um, I I thought that that was really hitting me, uh, as Matt would say in the feels. And, um, you know, a couple of the problems I had with it, the first one was, how does he know all these skills? Um, you know, I understand that he's super intelligent, but that doesn't mean, you know, I guess nowadays we have AI and it's really hard to train them. You have to like put them through these situations over and over and over again before they learn things. Um, and so I, I guess it's it's the benefit of hindsight now and, and the benefit of reality but, well, but you look at like those Boston Dynamics robots will do like backflips and all sorts of stuff that a normal person wouldn't be able to do. And yeah, but well, but they but yeah. they've been trained over and over and over again. But but they wouldn't know how to fly an SR seventy one Blackbird, even though the, even though they had like a briefing by a Learjet pilot one day. Um, I guess that that was my point that he knew all these things natively. He knew how to play piano. He didn't have to learn anything. He just had it already uploaded into his head, and that was. See, I I. I read it as he's just a fast learner because he's a robot. Yes. That's how yeah. I thought. That's how yeah, I that, read it. That could be as well. Um, I mean, so that was, it was minor. Been, I mean, by that point, he's gotten his memory back. So they could have fed all sorts of stuff into those computer yeah. data banks. That's true. He, that's true. He was a military robot. So maybe they had already trained him how to fly an SR-71 Blackbird. So that's pretty minor. Um, but I But I did think it was a cool movie. Short Circuit. I uh, I really really enjoyed and and this is another probably another instance of I had not seen the whole thing when I was younger I had channel surfed it and I had been annoyed by the robot's goofy voice 
and just said, this is just a goofy movie. I'm not going to watch it. But then, you know, having to watch it uh, in preparation for this panel, I was just absolutely charmed by Ali Sheedy. I found her absolutely charming in so many ways. The fact that she could interact with this robot puppet that has absolutely no humanity to it whatsoever and completely sell it, like completely make me believe and have to keep checking myself that this is a puppet. She's in the room with a puppet. Like she, she just completely sold that movie to me. And anytime she wasn't on the screen, I was bored. But anytime she was on the screen, I just couldn't take my eyes off her. Like she just was so charming and her every facial expression and all the, all the things you could tell were going on inside of her, of her, of her mind and soul were just really coming across to me. And I loved that. I, you know, I found the robot voice really goofy still. Um, the other thing I liked about the movie was I thought that the robot design you know, I thought the robots were really clunky and kind of, you know, unconvincing that they would be so powerful. But I thought that the actual robot design, especially in hindsight, was really cleverly done. Like this is supposed to be a military robot. So it's got these two treads and it's got this body that has, you know, basically some grabber hands and arms. And it's got this it can extend itself to get taller or it can crunch down to get shorter. Uh, just looking at that design, I was like, that's whoever designed that thing was just brilliant and um and then finally the last thing yeah, I, I read that i read that this movie has a 12 million dollar budget and 1.5 million was building that robot Jesus. i understand i believe that wow i believe that because that was incredibly like if you look at the the motions that it's doing um you know like the, there's parts where it's like mixing drinks and and i'm like i don't think that's cgi that's just that's just <laughs> yeah, uh that was mechanical yeah. and i'm like that that's pretty good for for that period it was um, yeah, it was a puppet it wasn't a robot but it was still fantastic it was still you know amazingly well designed and thought out but say what was your last thing tom oh my last point was about the about fisher stevens um i had read an article like a month ago where he was kind of bemoaning the fact that he's basically this hated person now because of that, what he did. And he, um, he said, you know, I always was just kind of like, look, I was a young actor and they said, we'll give you this part, but can you do an Indian accent? And he said, Oh, sure. And so he said, I worked really hard on it and I got, you know, I was really proud of myself and it was really well received at the time. So I was really proud of it. And even after people started coming out and getting angry at me about it, I was just kind of like, thinking, well, you know, I, I did what I had to do. To, I, was, I was young and I didn't really know. But then he said what really got him is there was a, uh, an Indian, uh, I guess, grown up now who, who wrote him a letter and said, look, that movie destroyed me when I was a kid because I watched that movie and I was so excited that there was an Indian American in the movie oh. and that finally there was a big, big named movie with an Indian American in it. And I was so encouraged and I was so you know, felt so good about myself for years. And then I found out that you were just making fun of me. And, and he said, it just destroyed me inside. And he said, when, when I, when I got that letter from that kid, I just thought, well, that's, that's awful. I, you know, I, I wish I'd never done it. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel, I don't fault him. I, apparently he actually went to India for a month to like prepare for the role and stuff. I mean, and it was like, he was 21 years old in 1986 or whatever. I mean, like, but the, I think the, the the bigger problem I have is that you know even if they had cast an actual Indian actor, the character just sucks. I mean, is is like sort of insulting mm-hmm. and stereotypical and yeah, you know, like I, I just think it's a you know sort of bad 
badly written character. And so, I mean, yes, you know, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah. And I, I didn't remember, I literally didn't remember any of the human characters in this movie at all. Like when I was a kid, I was like, Johnny five is awesome. I love that. He can like read a book by flipping through the pages. I love that. There's like these scary robots who look like him, but they have laser guns and they have no souls. Like, um, like all the robot stuff really stuck in my mind. And like going back and watching it now, it's like, I don't remember any of these humans at all. And I don't like, if you got rid of any of them, if you got rid of, um, everybody but Ali Sheedy and number five. Like I, I, I could just watch a movie, the movie with Ali Sheedy, number five, like going cross country. Like I, I don't have <laughs> Steve Gutenberg to tell, tell along with them. Like who cares? Like get out of there, Steve, you know? Yeah. Just uh, like a buddy movie with them. Would yeah. Be, would like be the two of them going cross country. That might actually be enjoyable, but like, yeah, like the whole plot with like Steve Gutenberg's like a bumbling idiot. Like, Oh, she loves you. She loves you. It's like, shut uh, up. God. Like, shut up. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not cute. You're annoying. Yeah, I was, um, I was, um, I watched it last night and I was, cause I, rem- I have very fond memories of this movie. Uh, I, I remember th- when I was a teenager thinking it was absolutely hilarious. And, and I just, Matt, you said like remembering the lines coming back. There was mm-hmm. one line that just, I hadn't thought of it in years, but I, as soon as, it, as soon as Fisher Steven said it, I was like, oh my God, I remember like, you know, saying that back and forth with my friend at the time because we thought it was so hilarious. It was the line, I'm sporting a tremendous Woody right now. And yes. we would say it in that horrible Indian accent. And I thought it was hilarious then. And I see it now and I'm like, it's cr- so cringeworthy and yes. awful. And, I, you know, I started thinking about how, you know, we've been doing all these 80s movies, the the fantasy movies, the bad ones, the good ones. And it's like, it feels to me like we're, not only being nostalgic, but also confronting the ghosts of our past, mm-hmm. the casual racism, the misogyny, um, which is was so prevalent in the 80s that we didn't even think about it. But now sure. we look back and we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I ever laughed at that because it is so well, horrific. There's, I think there's also, also the part. Inc- yeah, there's also the part where Steve Gutenberg teaches Johnny Five the the Jewish joke and then like. John, you know, number he just like laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs. And well, I was also I brought and I said this to Matt last night. There's a shot in uh, Flight of the Navigator where he flies over Tokyo and they have all these Japanese people just pulling out the cameras. Like it's that that stereotypical joke of Japanese people constantly taking doing nothing but taking pictures. Yeah, that was in like every movie in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. They they would have to throw that in. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like everything about it was just. Yeah. so cringy and i mean i think it was kind of upsetting like yeah like know, realizing I, I laughed at that stuff yeah i mean because <laughs> but also i mean you know i encountered this when i was like 11 or 12 so i didn't really have context mm-hmm. for this stuff no. so it's like you know i absorbed some of this stuff and like like you said i, w- I would quote um you know uh uh fisher stevens character sometimes and then not realizing uh what I was doing there. And, and yeah. so it's, it's like, uh, I think it's important to, to look back with, you know, on it and say, yes. Ooh, yes, uh, that was definitely racist and, um, you know, bring, bring some conscious to it. Um, yeah. Consciousness to it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So any final thoughts on Daryl or short circuit before we get into the upcoming potential reboots? I, I would just like to point out that in uh, flight of the navigator, um, I'm sorry, in Daryl, 
the, the older sister is from Square Pegs and Flight of the Navigator, Sarah Jessica Parker. And they were both, the, those were the two leads in the very famous 80s show, Square Pegs. I just want to, br- you know, bring that out. <laughs> nice. Nobody else nice cares, one. but I just want to say that. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> great. I actually have a funny Sarah Jessica Parker quote. So she was asked, uh, what drew you to play Carolyn in Flight of the Navigator? And she responds, are you seriously asking me what drew me to Flight of the Navigator? It was a part. Like, literally, I just got a part. I went and did it. That's what I did for most of my career. Nothing drew me to it. It was a paycheck. That's exactly what drew me to it. I can't even tell you what it was about or who I played. Oh, my God. Good for her. That's the stupidest yeah. question. That is the stupidest question. It wasn't like she was right. a lead in, in, in some Shakespeare movie. <laughs> right. What the f- yeah. what, somebody gave me money. I was 16. Yeah. Like, She's like, oh, wow, this is now this part I yeah. can really sink my teeth into. <laughs> exactly. I, I, deliver, I deliver orange juice and Cheerios. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. Boy, is that the security lacks at NASA. Yeah. And all these military yeah. bases and labs. Like, what is, how is it this possible? How did, how did they get out? In your yeah. male robot with a yeah. giant <laughs> slot for a human a being in the human middle sized of it? person. Yeah. We didn't think people would go in there. It's for male. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? I actually, I guess the other thing, last thing I'll mention about uh, Short Circuit is, you know, my girlfriend's name is Stephanie. And she, she said when she used to work for her dad's company that one of his employees would always be like, no, no, disassemble, Stephanie. Not disassemble, Stephanie. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked I liked that part of it too, where he was uh, learning what disassemble means. Oh, that was good. I should death. have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Where he like and learns I liked, about mortality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really well handled. I thought it made a lot of sense to me how how he would learn it that way. And I liked also that she was like her job was like well, she lived in this apartment, but then her job was to. Uh, to to drive around this like hippie food truck where she had like she sold like you know sprouts and stuff like that i thought that was fantastic yeah her character was great i, I totally agree with you uh, yeah. everything else sucked <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't disagree with that either like everything else yeah. was well, kind of goofy and campy but I, every time she was on screen she just pulled everything together she was fantastic the, the thing is too like i didn't rewatch short circuit 2 for this but i can remember watching short circuit 2 and just being like oh that just does not live up to short circuit 1 at all <laughs> <laughs> does it not have ali sheedy in it i don't even remember i don't remember anything mm-hmm. about it at all i I've, i didn't even know there was one I just remember. I just remember. My perception as a kid was that it was like forty percent as good as Short Circuit One. You know, so I'm really. I love that you put a percent on percentage on it. Yeah, it's forty percent of Short Circuit. (laughs) What is that about? Five percent of a movie. It's like it's it's the other Rotten Tomatoes meter. Like you got to get an exchange rate in there somehow. The short circuit meter. Actually, wait. Speaking of, uh, so because I have the Rotten Tomatoes ratings here, so we got Daryl fifty three percent, Short Circuit fifty nine percent. Flight of the oh. Navigator, 84%. Enemy Mine, 63%. And The Last Starfighter, 76%. Well, so, that oh just goes God. to show you that those ratings are completely out of a hat. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Daryl is better than all of these except The Last Starfighter, in my opinion. Wait um, a minute. Let's go back through those. And this time, think of it as instead of being a score of the movie, think of it being a score of the special effects. Because maybe that's all people care about. What were they again? Uh, Last Starfighter, 76. Enemy Mine, 63. 
Flight of the Navigator, 84, Short Circuit, 59, Daryl, 53. Yeah, maybe not. It just still seems random. I just don't see Short Circuit being better than Daryl. No. Or Flight of the Navigator being better than The Last Starfighter. Just not, I think not it's. It, it. I think it has a lot to do with people voting with their, you know, with their hearts and the, the nostalgia of it, as opposed yes. to whether it's a good film or not. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. But these movies all came out at base. These movies were all eighty four, mm-hmm. eighty five, or eighty six. So. Oh, that's a good point too. So it's like, why wouldn't there be the same amount of nostalgia for all of them? I still because, feel like Flight of the Navigator gets a pass because it's got a really cool spaceship in it. People are like, oh yeah, that that oh yeah, that really one cool with spaceship. that silver spaceship. <laughs> yeah. That Queen Amidala used in Phantom Menace. <laughs> right. <laughs> Holy cow, you're right. When they get when because it, it it starts as a walnut, but then when he wants to go fast, it gets really streamlined and, mm-hmm. and it is the same ship. Yeah. You're right. Uh all right. So so this is what I found out about the re- remakes. So um they've so they've been trying to reboot or like do a sequel rather to last starfighter for a long time but the screenwriter who like owns the rights or owns part of the rights or something has been holding out until there was an actual like good script and budget and stuff and so um somewhere they said it's like like basically like 99 percent oh uh uh okay so gary witta who i've actually interviewed on this show he wrote one of the scripts for um one of the drafts rather for um star wars rogue one uh, it says screenwriter Gary Witta shared on Twitch on Thursday afternoon the latest details regarding the long-awaited sequel to the vastly underrated 1984 sci-fi adventure and said, quote, we're very, very close. We're basically on the one yard line and I believe it will happen. That was back in March. So, nice. um, and it's, it's called, they put together a little like thing with, um, concept art and stuff. It's called the last Starfighters, and would deal with like the next generation basically of, um, of Starfighters, like with Lance recruiting. Guest coming back as, as a whatever the character's name was, the, I saw that like Alex, like Alex, like Norman. You. What's his name? The, the guy who played Zur was a, is apparently back. I think I saw. Oh, I didn't see anything about. Oh, any did you other. know Will Wheaton was in the Last Starfighter? Wait, where? That's what I said. I saw him in the credits, and uh, apparently he was the the little brother's friend. So he must be like somewhere in the yeah. background that I didn't see. Yeah, he he originally had speaking lines, but they didn't make it into the final movie. Oh, and you, wow. Like you, you, he's not recognizable, but you can see him like wearing a red jersey running around the trailer park at the beginning. But like you don't see his face, so there's like no way you would actually know oh, it was wow. William. Huh. Um. So that's the last Starfighters, and then there's uh. Wait, where do I have? There, there's, there's also like um, reboots of uh, Flight of the Navigator Ugh. and mm. Short Circuit. Ugh. And why, uh, why would you redo Short Circuit? It seems like you just do a different movie about robots finding their own humanity or something. Well, because it has the, I mean, it has the name recognition. Um, oh, wait, here it is. Okay, That's so, weird. So Bryce Dallas Howard is attached to direct and produce a female-led reimagining of um flight of the navigator for disney and then uh this is from ign um the 80s sci-fi movie short circuit is being rebooted as a latinx family film and eduardo cisneros and jason schumann will write the screenplay so um yeah those are all i I honestly feel like these are all properties that should probably just stay in the 80s but um the only know. one I think that they should remake is Enemy Mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I feel like that's a story that 
yeah. we need we need right now, like the de otherizing of people. Yeah. Um, especially like with the climate uh, in in the country in the world, is just to like look and see the other as human, like yeah. yourself. You know. Um, I feel like all the other stuff we've seen before, it would just be so. It would be really d- derivative. I mean. Like the robot that wants to be human. I mean, it goes back to Pinocchio, but I, I feel yeah. like we, we've seen it like so many times in the last decade or two. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that in a well, way. I do like the the idea of doing it as like a Latinx family movie because that could be new and original. It could be different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do like the idea of a female-led flight of, lead flight of the navigator. A young girl instead of a young boy might be kind of a cool... Yeah, I mean, if they, I think the, 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 like we said, you know, the beginning of the film where, uh, you know, he comes home eight years later and the family's moved and, you know, they, they, they're like, where were you these eight years? Like that mystery I thought was really powerful. And if they, if they, if they have that part and then they can figure out, like you said, David, with the, um, having some kind of, uh, emotional connection with him so that when he decides to go back into the past, uh, he has to give something up in in the present. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think if they fix that, yeah, definitely, and that would be cool to see a a, a girl instead of yeah. I, I think the, I think the thing is that like yeah, both Short Circuit or Flight of the Navigator they could be done well, and I think they would be great for like kids to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just like saying I'm, I can't see myself being that excited to watch either of those at this point. No, no but I think it's because you're an adult. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, but I agree and, that I agree that that Enemy Mind desperately needs to be rebooted, not just for the message, but no, for the message. It's 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 and it's a great story. It's a beautiful story, and it needs to be. It's universal and should be told again. And I just think done in a better way. And if they can get Lewis Gossett Jr. to reprise the role, it would you know he's wearing cool. a mask, so it doesn't even matter. So it would be, be cool. fun. Yeah. Um, and then I actually would like to see a sequel to Last Starfighter. I, I actually would be happy to see that. So, and and movie production companies take note. Dave works cheap. <laughs> yeah, very cheap apparently. Yeah, <laughs> um, need an agent, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I I just feel like I mean, there's just so many like real science fiction. Like I was like really heartbroken when the um, Ian M. Banks um, thing seems like it's not happening. I think it was at Amazon. Like something that actually has like cool like ideas that we haven't seen before. Whereas like I'll I pro- I'll probably go see the last Starfighter if it comes out and it's gotten a good buzz. But you know, it's it's like I just wish that you know they could do thing they could do things that were like more thoughtful science fiction ideas. You know that there were yeah. more properties like that that would attract an you know like the audience that would justify the big budgets and stuff like that. Well, they, well are, they are they are doing N.K. Jemison's uh, Broken Earth trilogy. Right? Aren't they? They're making that into films. Hopefully, they'll put a mine in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that'd be cool. I actually hadn't heard about that. I, I don't think I'd heard about that, but that would be cool. But yeah, like, um, so, but I'm just saying, like, Last Starfighter is like, you know, it doesn't like super excite me at this point. But I guess we'll we'll see what. what I just think there's. I just think there's a, a a lot of story that can be told there. I mean, you know, mm. it's there's a lot on the table that you can use. So. Yeah, just my take. I want to. I want to see what happened to all those people in the trailer park. Like, yeah, he's he's like, we're going to be the most famous people 
like, <laughs> Otis. He's like, we're going to be the most famous people where Alex Rogan went to the stars. And it's like, well, what happens when he goes to the stars? And they're like, yeah, Alex went into space. And like, I want to see what happened to that community after that. Like, yeah. they're like, oh, these wackaloons. You know, you have the men in black come. Like, we need to shut this down. You know, like. They're shit, all signing movie deals and they're all talking yeah. on like on yeah. expose shows and stuff. People are making documentaries about them. Or, or the uh, trailer park that mysteriously disappeared, right? You know, like, <laughs> like we need to shut these people up. Uh, I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, this, well, this the, he did have the little brother who always wanted to go to space, and so yeah. Like, yeah. there could be an interesting thing where it's like, you know, why did he's like I was the the little brother's like I was the one who always wanted to go to space, and you're the one who got picked, and I got left behind, and there could be an interesting sort of yeah, character yeah. conflict there. Yeah, I wonder if that kid's still acting. Well, I mean, they could hmm. cast anyone, you know, I, I mean, at this true, point, you know, true. Um, all right, cool. So we're pretty much out of time. So uh, why do we start wrapping this up? So, um, Tom, final thoughts on these awesome 80 <laughs> science fiction movies. I was I was pleasantly surprised by most of them, being that I hadn't watched any of them in their entirety before, and uh, it was fun to go back and watch them and and see the parts where there were were actually cool story elements and fun things to discover. And um, yeah, I would I would recommend that people go and if if you get some spare time, watch Daryl. That's a that's a fun one, and um, and you know watch Short Short Circuit if you think you're really going to enjoy Ali Sheedy's performance as much as I did. And probably, probably, probably the rest of them, but, uh, but certainly, you know, lower your expectations for most of them. <laughs> hmm. Uh, Andrea, final thoughts. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was an interesting experience watching all five of these, um, you know, two that I'd never seen and one of them turning out to be quite good. Um, and then a movie that I thought was going to be fantastic turning out to really not be as great as I remember. Um, and then last Starfighter hit the same spots that it did when I was a kid. So that was great. Yeah. You know, um, so it was an interesting trip into the past, um, you know, remembering, remembering who I was then and, 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 and also just being like a storyteller now and looking at all of them with a, the eye of a storyteller, it makes, it's a huge difference you know from being a teenager who doesn't really know anything about other than you know entertain me um so yeah it was it was an interesting experience yeah yeah definitely like like, like i said a last starfighter was i was pleasantly surprised how how good it was uh, i mean i went in with, with really low expectations like i said but i would recommend watching that whole thing enemy mine i would recommend watching the middle flight of the navigator definitely watch the first half uh, you could skip short circuit in my opinion. Yeah. And Daryl watched like maybe the first two thirds. I thought was really pretty good. Um, so Matt, final thoughts. Uh, you know, I pretty much uh, agree with everybody else. Uh, I think the highlight of these films for me was the last Starfighter. I, it's just like it, these films were a nice, uh, nostalgia trip. Um, last Starfighter in particular just took me back to that, that time mm-hmm. and just really, really fun movie. Um, uh, I also enjoyed Enemy Mine and Daryl. I think they're they're both worth watching. Uh, not perfect movies, but definitely uh, there's enough there to to um, make them enjoyable. The other two you could skip: Fly the Navigator, Short Circuit. I mean, Ali Sheedy, um, she's just wonderful in it. But there's so many other problems with the film that mm-hmm. it's overall not a great movie. But uh, yeah, um, definitely uh, if you've never seen The Last Starfighter, you should you should watch it. 
that's it. Yeah, and and also definitely read the novella Enemy Mine by Barry Longyear. Like I'm I said, going I haven't to read, read it, it after this. Yeah, I haven't yeah. read it since I was a kid, so maybe uh, it, it doesn't hold up if I go back and look at it. But I, I remember it just being fantastic, so I'm going to put in a good word for that. Um, and yeah, a, like a faithful adaptation of that again would be terrific. Um, all right, cool. But so let's uh, wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Andrea Kale, Tom Gerentzer, and Matthew Kressel. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, thanks Dave. Dave. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Andrea Kale, Tom Gerentzer, and Matthew Kressel for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. I also want to thank Brett McCormick for sponsoring today's show. Check out his new book, Texas Schlock, over at texasschlock.com. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.